Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My next guest, Jiggy, grew up in South Korea. She was raised in a very traditional Korean family where her traumatic experiences and emotions were not to be spoken about, and the expectations of excellence were of the utmost important. When Jiggy was just 10 years old, she moved to the United States. It would be through learning a new language that Jiggy would uncover an identity that she felt connected to. She learned the English word gay, a word that was not in the Korean vocabulary. At the early age of 13, Jiggy bravely came out, but unfortunately she experienced homophobia from her friends, family, and society. As Jiggy continued to grow up, her world was clouded by depression. It followed her from childhood into youth and then adulthood. Jiggy experienced a series of painful events throughout her life. A fire rippled through and destroyed her home, and she ended up living in strangers' basements and shelters, eating dollar store meals that were cooked in a microwave. She was diagnosed with type one diabetes and sadly her mother passed away from cancer. As you might recall, expressing the emotions that came with each trauma was frowned upon. It was when Jiggy attended Pennsylvania State University and attended some gen ed classes that the trajectory of her life shifted. She began exploring topics like vulnerability, self-awareness and empathy. These classes, along with a few influential professors, would spark the change that set her on the path of healing. Jiggy is now a youth motivational speaker and mental performance coach who helps high school students and college students. She brings an awareness to the importance of mental health and burnout prevention and teaches practical strategies for students to implement. Hello and welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so... You were raised by a very traditional Korean family. Can you paint a picture of what it was like growing up for you? Um, I guess I can be the first Asian to say it and admit it that everything you see in Mulan might be true. Um, I do have to bring honor to the family. I do have to abide by certain expectations of bringing honor to the family, to the name, to the culture. Um, academic excellence is a huge one. And to strive for that, you know, in Korea, you go to school. We have schools on Saturdays as well, even though Saturdays are half days. And after school, you have an after school program that you also have to study for. Um, and then after that, you go home and study all day and all night and then wake up and do it all over again. Um yeah, anything less than a perfect A plus is sort of not acceptable. You can get yelled at for that, truly. Um, a lot of disciplining, yeah, in terms of behavior as, as well as being a young girl growing up in Korea. Any opinions or thoughts that I might have weren't really allowed to be expressed and they're frowned upon. So what I've been taught is to just keep my opinions to myself and keep my hands closed and just always bow yes and nod yes to my elders and truly not who I am today now now I'm just out here just screaming with self-expression but (laughs) growing up it was not at all who I am now oh wow that must have been so hard so 
for kids growing up there, is there any like playfulness or, um, self-expression or any freedom? Like, did you find that in any corners of Korea that you got into, were you able to like sneak that in somehow, or is that like non-existent for kids there? I mean, just like any family, each family is different. And I don't know why things are like in Korea now. I truly don't. But for my experience growing up in my family, um, I can't recall so many times when I experienced empathy from others, especially my family members. And if I were to ever, you know, cry or scream, truly, it was because I didn't feel seen or heard. And they would just call it a tantrum. And if I were to cry, you know, I heard like, oh, there she goes again. And let's just wait till she's done crying. Um, I think I can only count with one hand how many times that somebody actually held space for me. But yeah, because I didn't have emotional intelligence or self-awareness or any opportunity to experience my emotions, it just came out as anger. It came out as a tantrum. It came out as sadness and tears. So that's just kind of what it looked like. It was just my emotions screaming to be seen. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's so sad. Like as a child, just wanting to be seen and having to, um, kind of be silenced or quiet and live up to these, um, unreasonable, unattainable, really expectations of perfection. Mm -hmm. So then you moved to the United States from Korea what did that do for you? First, I don't think I grasped the understanding that I was actually moving my life over to America. I remember I just packed a very small bag of clothes. And when I got to the U.S., my mom asked me, is this all you brought? And I was like, yeah. I was like, well, if I, I figured if I needed more clothes, we could just buy it. And she's like, what do you mean you think that you can just buy clothes over here? And I, I, at a young age, I don't think I grasped the understand. I thought I was moving for like a year. I didn't know that I was moving my entire life over. And so um, just going through the understanding of that alone, I don't think I ever grasped the importance of that chapter of my life, the transition and the transformation that I'm about to go through. As well as I came over not knowing too much English at all, I knew just a few words just from tutoring back in Korea, but it's not like I can finish a complete sentence. And so uh, what happened for me was that I watched a lot of friends and friends became me learning how to speak English and learning how certain expressions or words. But it was a lot of looking up in the dictionary. The dictionary became my best friend. And my brother always had to help me out with my homework. And that was already overwhelming enough. But obviously, even though I was moving to a new country, obviously, I still had to get an A plus for all of my homeworks and quizzes. So that was a lot of added pressure on top of learning a new language. But at the same time, I don't think that um, my family as immigrants understood the pressure of that as well. I think that we're just usually taught to do what is expected of us and do things in excellence always. And so it's just more so like do whatever it takes to get it done kind of mentality. Um, so that's what it was for like me then. Oh, wow. So you came over and you were still expected to have that academic excellence, not having um, English as your first language. So you had to navigate transitioning to a new country um, did you experience any like culture shock or anything being immersed in the classroom, knowing few 
uh, English words and like just the, the different way of things here. Did you feel any of the freedom right away when you were young or were you still under that? Um, I guess, what am I trying to say here? Like in, inside of the box, I guess at this point. I don't think at that time I would label it as a culture shock. I think that I was just going through the motions of being introduced to something that's different in America. Um, What was prevalent out of everything is probably the food that I was eating. Like the, the food that I was introduced to really were not very impressive at all. If anything, <laughs> I was wondering, is this really what you eat here? And like, especially for kids, is this really what you serve in schools? Because in Korea, we have full meals like tray with rice, meat, soup, vegetables, like variety of nutritious foods. You come here and there's like a piece of pizza that's like out of a microwave with so much grease on it with chocolate milk oh i remember when i was introduced to string cheese um (laughs) i saw kids eating this thing like a lot and they were always like making it look really fun and i'm like what the heck is that they're like it's cheese i'm like y'all are so obsessed with cheese here (laughs) and um i was like they make it look so good and fun i want to try it out too and i had one i was like this is nasty and then (laughs) Um, they gave us ice cream, like a popsicle, and it was like turquoise color. And I'm like, this is just straight up sugar, like frozen sugar. And I'm like, this is what you eat. And I think that that's truly what was actually frowned upon, like Americans eating burgers and pizza and gaining a lot of weight and just living an unhealthy lifestyle. Um, I think that might be the only quote unquote culture shock that I have experienced. But even then, back home, my mom made home cooked meals. And so it was all just experiencing something new. I don't think that I even understood something as much as different cultures to understand that what I may have been experiencing was culture shock. The shock was only just like the food. The food, Um, yeah. Yeah, but other than that, I wouldn't say the experience was culture shock. Okay, so then... You start to learn more phrases and more vocabulary in English, and you learn the word gay. Like that wasn't in the Korean vocabulary. So when you learned, like, first of all, do you remember like the exact moment when you learned that word? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Take us there. Um, so back in the day, kids, uh, there was this thing called chat rooms where you chat with people online. You don't even know. Um, yeah, I was in this chat room and that was another way that I was learning how to read and write. Yes. It looking back, it was kind of questionable why I did that at that age. But, um, yeah, I was logged online. I was in this chat room and there are different kinds of forums that people can create and, they were titled different things for different topics. And so I entered this one chat room and I was just kind of like reading stuff and they were talking about gay, lesbian and bisexuals. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what room I was in, but I was reading what people were saying and they were just talking about relationship issues or just difficult experiences that they were going through. And I was like, what is this word? What does this mean? 
I asked Arun what it means and they said they explained it very plainly like you know when you have when you're a man and you have attraction for other males and when you're a female and you have attraction for other females and then what bisexuality is and at the time I felt more connected towards bisexuality and so I was like oh my god this like this is exactly how I feel and I didn't know it was an actual thing I thought maybe something was just different about me I thought maybe I don't I didn't know what it was truly I didn't know how to identify it but once I learned the word bisexual it really connected with me and I felt more seen and I thought wow it's not just me and this is a thing and how do people navigate through life with this and this was like 2003 or four or five and um even to now, people think that like homophobia doesn't exist anymore and things like that. I will say that, yeah, the world has shifted tremendously since the day that I found out about the word bisexuality. But there, homophobia is still very existent and the world may have come a long way. Um, and I'm very grateful for that, but we still have a very long way to go. But yeah, that's to my memory. That's how I found out about the word. Okay. So then you identify with this, you now feel like, wow, that is, you know, this is something that I connect to. Um, and you were really young when you kind of came across that. So did you just hold on to it to yourself or did you express that to your family? Uh, no, I definitely did not. <laughs> it, it was definitely not the first thing in my mind. Like, I got to tell my family. It wasn't something that I was so excited and excited, ecstatic to share with people because um, I don't know how I knew this or felt this way, but something in my heart told me this isn't something that you're just supposed to throw around and share with people. Again, like I was so young. I don't know how it was as if it had to be a kept secret. And um, I say this because like, yes, it, it, this actually is a true story to this day. There are some people who just cannot, quote unquote, come out of the closet because they felt that feel as though it has to be a secret. It's just that I don't know how I knew that. I don't know how I was influenced by that. It's not like I saw it in a movie. Ain't nobody on TV talking about it. So in the early 2000s. So um, but something in my heart said it has to be a secret. Something about it is quote-unquote not normal something about it is quote-unquote not right and especially because I grew up Catholic and so at that time also I by then I went to a uh, Catholic private middle school so for sure I wasn't about to tell anybody by the time I was ready to tell somebody it was eighth grade in middle school, I told my best friend, who's a guy, and he was much more chill about it. He was very supportive. We, he walked me through a lot of compassion and just let me know that he was he loved me no matter what. And that helped me gain the confidence to be like, OK, maybe I'm ready to tell one more person and another person and another person. Um, I ended up telling maybe two or three more friends at that school who I thought were my closest friends. And it turned out into this chaotic thing where I guess the one person I thought was one of my best friends just turned on me and ended up to my face. She told me that she supported me. But then the next day I get a call from this other girl 
that I happen to have a crush on. She calls my home phone and leaves a message saying, don't ever talk to me like you're disgusting. Stay away from me. I told my parents they're going to call the school like da, 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 da. And this all happened within the span of the last month before we graduated middle school. And so right before graduation, I just like lost all of my friends. And it's a private Catholic school. There's only 100 students total. So I lost all of my friends. Word spread quickly. And I was only left with maybe two or three best friends. Uh, from there, I just moved to New York for high school anyway. So I had to start a completely new chapter. Um, and that began my journey of then telling my family. Um, but even to this day, my dad doesn't know. Only oh. my mom, my brother, and my cousin knows. So even to this day, my dad doesn't know. And where is your dad? Is your dad um, like a huge part of your life or do you guys have a relationship? We do have a relationship. He lives in Korea, though. He's lived in Korea this entire time. We have been in America, which is over a decade now. Um, our relationship is heavily relied on just video chats and phone calls. Um, but yeah, my dad is very much in my life as as far as being my father goes. There are just certain things that I can't tell him because I don't know how he's going to react or I don't even know if he understands the word gay. So, um, yeah, at this point, I don't know what it would take for me to tell him. I don't know if I ever will. Uh, he's a very traditional guy. But, uh, yeah, it's like a kept secret in my family right now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. That he still be- thinks that I'm going to marry a nice Korean doctor. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, you're going to be 30 soon. Like, you got to get married. And I'm like, who would you like me to marry? He's like, a gentleman, a nice doctor gentleman, a Korean gentleman. And then I'm like, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> um, whoops. So your dad still doesn't know. He might mm-hmm. not ever know. Um, does that like, is that like a big weight on your shoulders or are you okay with, you know, sometimes some people you just think won't ever get it, won't understand. And, and that's okay for you. You know, that's still something that I'm walking myself through. I think a part of me wants to say that it's not a big deal. And that comes from a place of, it's just a part of who I am. I am so much bigger than just this little tiny thing about myself. And the thing about it is that I don't operate as if I choose to be gay every single morning. Like I don't wake up and, oh, am I going to be straight today or lesbian today? And, oh, I'm going to just breathe my gay air and wear my gay clothes and (laughs) do my gay stuff. Like that's not how it is. It's truly not even in my mind at all. And so, because I live that way, I want to say that it's not a big deal because I don't think about it. But at the same time, it is who I am. It is a part of my future in terms of who I will marry and have my future with. And the closer I get to potentially wanting to propose to a partner, that's when the question really comes up is like, you know, who's going to walk you down the aisle? And, and a part of me wants to be like, I don't care who walks me down the aisle, but but I'm like, oh no, like I'm, I love weddings. I love love. And I, in my ideal wedding, like the wedding is 
perfect. And whether it's my brother walking me down, uh, my sister-in-law or my dad walking me down or even my mentors walking me down, whoever it will be, it will be perfect. But it would hurt a lot to also have that wedding without my dad knowing who I'll be married to. So how can I have a wedding without him knowing? And so (laughs) that's like what I keep walking through. And I used to joke around about it, too. I used to be like, maybe one day I'll get I'm a late born. My parents are very old. So um, I used to just joke around about it. Like, uh, maybe I'll just get married after my parents pass away. But after my mom passed away, I stopped joking around. I was like, Mm. "Mm, this ain't this isn't that funny anymore. And granted, she passed away knowing, knowing, you know, how how I roll. And um, now that she's passed, I know that in my heart, I would I would have rather her know than not know. But there's also a piece of me, peace in me that if my dad were to ever pass without knowing there's a part of peace in my heart about knowing that he'll go to heaven and be in such peace that he won't care. And so now I'm coming back to why does it have to take him being in heaven and at peace for me to believe that he'll love me no matter what now. So that's something that I'm walking through and <laughs> that's, that's I don't really it. have that's an answer. That's my answer for now. We'll see what happens. Yes. We'll check back. Yeah. That that's heavy to hold on to, but I love how like a couple things there you said, like, yeah, that's just like a piece of you. That's, you know, when people are around you or in friendships or relationships or whatever, like that's just a piece of you that, you know, you don't walk into, um, a conversation and that's not the first thing that comes. like, I know it is something that definitely needs more work going forward, like society. But at the end of the day, the people who you're around, like they don't really care about that part of you, you know, like they just care who you are and your essence and, and what you bring. So I like that you bring that part up and that, it is a very complicated, um, situation. It's like peeling the layers back of the onion and hopefully you can get there one day where you feel, um, comfortable enough to let him know and show like this, this just little piece of you that really doesn't affect any other, um, part of you, but it, but it is you, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. I think that what that brings me to is that I mean, the reality of being me is to love all of me and not just parts of me. And so with my friends, like I said, I have lost friends who couldn't accept this, even if it might be this. To me, it can be the smallest part of my life, but I also know that it is the entirety of who I am. And so it's not just about somebody um not making a big deal out of it or just like accepting me, but it's also about going going above and beyond and supporting me because to, because I would have to, ha- I would hate to have a friend who say that they love me and then come, come the day I, I'm getting married. And then they say they're not going to come to my wedding because they don't support it or they come to my wedding, but don't support gay marriage. And it's just like, that makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, uh, my friend groups now fortunately are very great people and they love me for all that I am. And I mean, I have had friends who I've experienced homophobia, even in college. And I've had have friends who almost got into 
fistfights for me. So wow, um, that's the kind of group that I like to be around. Yes. Have that support. So, um, one quick question before we move into high school. So I know this was, you know, over a, a decade ago when you were young, that the, the word gay wasn't in the Korean vocabulary has, as things have evolved and changed over the last decade is the word now in the Korean vocabulary, or is it still absent? So here's the funny story. Um, when I was growing up, okay. Short answer is that, yeah, I think so. And why I say that is this, when I was growing up in Korea, there was this actor who was extremely famous, very well known. He was in all the like kids. He's a comedian and he was in all the kids shows as well as like the comedy shows. He was a very well known dude. Um, but something about him, I was always like, he's different. Something about him is different. I don't know what it is. But then when I came to America and learned a word, I was like, I wonder if he's the same way. But I never really thought too much about it. And then it wasn't until I was in college when I found out from another friend who's from Korea. She told me that he came out as gay. He was on a talk show where he was interviewed and he came out as gay. And it turned out he's like the first gay celebrity who came out and it was like this huge deal and he said that he wants to be like the not the face of the korean gay community but like a truly like a leader he's basically like the korean alan degeneres almost and so he took that leap and apparently he got banned from tv or something like that and i was like okay so he is gay and then recently with netflix all over the world now there's this show it's a K-drama show and he's in it. And the show is so famous because it's very progressive. It's very almost modern. Um, I watched it and I was shocked. I haven't been to Korea in a while. And so I was like, wow, they're really shifting certain cultural expectations now. They're not only talking about gay people and lesbians, they're talking about transgenders and transsexuals and that to me like th there was a character who was a trans who was a transgender in the show and i was like what when i was growing up they didn't even kiss in the shows they weren't even having even remotely close to sex in the shows and now they're showing this and i'm like wow what is korea now i don't know so i think that we're just actually just now like getting into that conversation um and that's my long answer. And I, I, I'm going to visit Korea soon. So maybe I'll have an update for you by then. Yes. Go back and check it out. And how cool is that though, that that's kind of like the same thing that happened to Ellen when she came out and then losing her spot on the show yeah. and, and everything. And it, it takes, you know, obviously a lot of time, but I mean, if your father is back living in there, he's, you know, exposed to some different ways of life. So you mm -hmm. never know what might come from there. Yeah. So you moved then to New York and went to high school. So was it kind of like a reset for you? Like it was after you left, um, this kind of craziness and maybe the, not the acceptance, maybe you were hoping for after you revealed to some people that you trusted. I think it definitely, you said the word reset. And I think that was a great way to describe it and I honestly believe that this transition into Queens New York 
And this particular high school was all meant to be. I think that I truly believe in my heart that my high school was the perfect place to for me to um, become more of myself and gave me the freedom to even be exposed to more so of, oh, wow, look at that. Oh, no, the lesbian. Oh, wow, another one. Oh, wow, a gay couple in the hallway <laughs> versus like nothingness in a private Catholic school. So, yeah, it definitely ex- just gave me more freedom, more room to breathe, I would say. And then there just like became the journey of me becoming more figuring out getting to know like more of who I am. And what did that journey look like? Like, I know in, when you went to university, you came across some wonderful people in different classes, but did it kind of start earlier for you? Like really digging into who you are? Yeah. In high school, the thing is that I went to a Bayside high school and they called it gay side because there were (laughs) so many lesbian couples the only thing that um, really confused me, frustrated me, even though I, I may have been around other gay people, I didn't I still didn't feel like I belonged just because, you know, there's this stigma about the gay community that all we care about is sex. All we care about is cheating on one another and just like inconsistent relationships and things like that. And those who surround me actually did reflect that. Um, there was a lot of drama because there's only so many students, you know, and there's only so many people you can date. And there was just so much drama around like who cheated on who and who's hooking up with who now. And like, oh, this person, they're best friends, but they turn on each other to like their girlfriends and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, I just don't believe in cheating. I don't believe in having sex with I don't hook up. And that's just my own truth. And so I was like, man, is it only possible to be gay if like, in order to qualify i have to cheat on people and so even though this was something that i needed support with i still didn't want to be supported by somebody who didn't align with my own core values um so even then i still felt pretty lonely um i can't say that i fit in even with those gay people um I still had to figure it all out on my own. But the fact that I had I was surrounded by friends who loved me for who I am, that support alone gave me a lot. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Did you date when you were in high school? Like and when did you come out to your mom? Yeah, so um, I'll start with the second question first. So the reason why I ended up coming out to my mom, it was my freshman year of high school. It was because when I went to high school, I learned that there's a club called Gay Club. It's the GSA, Gay Straight Alliance Club. And um, I was curious. And so I wanted to go to it. And the thing about me is that I am such a goody goody. I tell my mom everything, where I am, what I'm doing, what time I'm coming home and things like that. Always had a curfew. So I told her that on this particular day, they have meetings on like, say, Tuesday. And I said, Mom, I'm going to stay in school a little late today and come home a little late today. Why? Because there's this club I want to go to and check out. She said, what is it? I said, it's called Gay Club. She's like, what's that i'm like it's a club of other gay people just talking about like i don't know being gay she was like why would you want to go to something like that and at that point i remember my heart was just pounding because that was something that i wanted to tell her for such a long time and i figured maybe this is the moment that i'm supposed to do it 
And so I told her, you know, there's this thing that I've been wanting to tell you for a long time. And um, I'm I think I'm bisexual. She asked, what's that? And I'm like, well, I, I feel attracted to other women. And she said, oh, that's just a phase. When I was your age, I held other girls' hands, too. Like, I held my friend's hands, too. I'm like, I don't think that's what this is at all. <laughs> and uh, she, we talked a little more about it. She said, you know, Catholicism frowns upon that. And I was like, I get it, but that's, like, not the point right now. And then somehow the conversation led to her asking, this is what you think about instead of studying? And I was like, bro, what? I have a straight A. Like, what are you talking about? And so I just got so frustrated, again, felt unseen. And so that's how kind of the coming out story ends. We never really revisited it. There were certain moments of passive aggressiveness and little comments, but that's just something that we do not talk about in the family. And so, um, yeah, and then about dating, I just never thought that I was somebody who would date in high school because as a kid, I think that I just, yeah, I had dreams and fantasies of like having a partner one day and like, what does love feel like and things like that. But um, I just thought that uh, maybe I'm not lovable. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not cool enough. Like all these things, any, any freshman in high school would feel like this though, you know? Yes. So I felt like a loser going into high school. Not gonna lie. I had braces and all these things. And so, uh, freshman year, I had this fat crush on this girl and she knew it, but we never dated and she played me. It made me feel like I could get there, but we never did. And so I will always had this narrative in my head, like maybe I'm just not attractive enough, not good enough. But come sophomore year, uh, I met a girl at my softball team. Of course, it's a softball team and uh, met her. And then she was my first girlfriend. Uh, fun fact about her is that she's actually still my best friend to this day. Um terrible girlfriend but a great best friend <laughs> great best friend um but yeah that was my first girlfriend and then I had my second girlfriend who I experienced like what it's like to be in love you know like long young love and then she just like tore me into pieces and then <laughs> everybody's and, gone to have one of those yeah and then I had a third and fourth a senior year by senior year I had like two two girlfriends in one year and I was just like you know I was I was on a roll senior year of high school <laughs> um but yeah surely enough I did experience a lot of relationships in high school and at the same time um experienced like one heartbreak after another and I think that was the beginning of me learning more about myself and what kind of attachment style I might have as well um but yeah I did end up having some few girlfriends in high school okay so you leave high school, you're off to university, uh, like through this whole time, like you're kind of going through like a cloud of depression that's kind of following you. Like there's good experiences that are being had along the way, but overall, like it's still kind of following you through, like, wh what did you do to kind of keep going and deal with, you know, the depression? At the time, I, if I were to look back with the awareness that I have now, oh, I had depression all of my life. It's just that back then I didn't have the awareness of what it was. And so even if I entertained the idea of suicidal thoughts, it was never like, oh, I must have depression. Oh, I must get help. It was never like that. It was just like, oh, another day of 
my sucky life. And so how I went through it, I didn't know there was another option. I had to go through it. To me, it was just another day of life. To me, it was just, this is how life, how my life is. My friends used to say that I'm very pessimistic. I used to say that I'm being realistic. I'm basing everything. I'm basing my thoughts, my behaviors, and everything off of my life experiences. And so to me, that's just me being real. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just operating off of my own experiences. Wow. Um, so then what was it that like sparked this change for you? Yeah. So that's when we get into college. Um, college was such a life changing experience all around and I wouldn't be who I am without it. Uh, first of all, what as right before college, um, I told my mom that I don't want to go to church anymore. I just couldn't fathom, you know, people kept telling me that God loves me and everything was happening for a reason and that God loves me. And that's why he's, you know, these things are happening. And I, and my mom would always tell me to pray, just pray about it. And I'm like, praying for what? Homie isn't listening. (laughs) So, and so I just didn't have a relationship with God. I believe in God's existence, but didn't have a, relationship and so i told my mom one day that i don't want to go to church anymore but i treasure i appreciate living among certain values and so i told her that i want to explore buddhism um surprisingly enough but not surprisingly she didn't have a problem with it because her best friend was a monk and i, I should have seen that coming i was like i should have known i should have maybe told her sooner but <laughs> so going into college i um took this class that was about different religions and uh, they were talking about buddhism and i was all into it so then i looked up more textbooks and more books and more articles about it and i attempted to explore what that's like but a piece of my heart always just believed in god and that's just my truth and then but i kept operating without going to church all throughout college yeah i may have gone once or twice but it wasn't anything for significant reasons other than like oh it's easter or something Mm -hmm. or christmas or something um but going into college i right before i lost my home to fire that's when i experienced you know a little bit of homelessness jumping from shelter to motels to so many different things then i went to college and I didn't know such a thing as grieving and healing and mental health. I still didn't know. And so as I was going into freshman year, um, my dorm room became my home now because I don't have a home to go back to. So my dorm room each became my home. And then after freshman, no, during freshman year, then I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And then right after freshman year, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And then um yeah, it just kept operating in that way. Sophomore year, um, I tried to use my diabetes supplies to end my life in my dorm room when my roommate was gone. Um, even then, I didn't pick it up as a signal that I need help. Even then, I was like, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I don't want to... Um, I don't want to bother anybody about this. And so I never told anybody. Um junior year my mother passed away and you know since then i had to navigate through it all 
the start, the start of it all, the seed was planted my sophomore year when I took this gen ed class where I knew this class was the one for me because first day of lecture, the professor takes a dollar bill and burns it. And he says, what does this mean to you? And this is a lecture hall of 800 plus students. And obviously everybody had a different opinion. Um, but it's because everybody held different values of what a dollar means. And that started my journey of what are my values? What is self-awareness? What's that? Meditation and journaling. What's that? Self-reflection and self-assessment. What's that? Oh, deep rooted, deep rooted pains and hurts. And like, oh, there's a reason why I behave the way that I do and operate the way that I do and think and get hurt the way that I do. There's a reason why I get into the kind of toxic relationships that I get into. And that was the class that planted the seed and showed me like the first steps of getting to that level of whatever level of self-awareness that I was at. And from there, I know people call it, you know, self-development journey. That was when I was like, oh, I like this. I want to learn more about myself. That was the class that introduced me to Brene Brown. I had to study Brene Brown's work. Um, this was back when she did have a TED talk, but it didn't have the views that it has now, not even close. And I was watching her and I learned about this word vulnerability. And I was like, what's that? And I realized that that was the thing that was so against my values growing up. It was the thing that was completely missing out of my life. And it was the answer to so much of my pain. It was the remedy to so much of my pain. I realized that vulnerability, transparency, truth speaking, experiencing emotions, and then sharing that with other people and opening myself up is the pathway to healing. And all of my life, people told me not to be vulnerable. All of my life, people told me not to express myself. All of my life, people told me not to express my emotions or experience my emotions to matter. I was like, I was judged if I was crying. I was judged if I was angry. And what's beneath the anger, what's beneath all these emotions is truly sadness. And I found that out because of my, the vulnerability. And once I found out though about the word vulnerability, I started to explore it more and more, started to read more Brene Brown, started to read other, you know, Untethered Soul, all of those things I read when I was in college while people were out partying. Um, I was in my dorm room just crying. But <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that was truly the start of it all and um even when my mom passed away, I did I still didn't know the mental health terms like grieving, steps to grieving and things like that. So the only reason how I knew to maybe try out seeing a therapist was that I was in the student medical center to pick up my diabetes surprise and at above the water fountain there was this poster and it said like do you feel this way? Like, are you sad? Are you, did you recently lose somebody? Like, duh, 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 duh. did you know that the university provides like four free counseling sessions? And I was like, oh, maybe I'll try this out because I don't feel like talking to my friends about like burdening them of what I'm going through since my mom passed. So that's when I explored therapy. It wasn't for me at the time. That's when I leaned more on God, more on my relationship with God. Because when I saw my mom pass away, um, 
that was like a wake up call for me that for me to see her ever again, I have to go to heaven. And the Bible says that in order to go to heaven, you have to believe in God and all these things. So I just like became obsessed with like my faith and things like that. But all of that brought together, um, just learning what it looks like to heal. And I learned that it doesn't have to be the traditional way of therapy. It can just, everybody's journey just looks differently. I have a therapist now. But back then, I just really needed some alone time with my heart and with God. And so that was a lot of reading, a lot of podcasts, a lot of documentaries, a lot of journaling, a lot of praying, a lot of meditation. Um, but yeah, it all started because of that one class. Oh, that is the most beautiful thing, like that journey of healing for you and um, learning, I guess, even more, I thought more phrases or more vocabulary, like vulnerability that unlocks the door Mm -hmm. for so many people. That's so beautiful that you got to experience, um, that I guess going inward journey to really figure out like all of the things that were kind of chefed, you know, pushed down as a kid and growing up and not being able to express yourself. That's a lot of years uh, of stuff to kind of dig through. Um, So how incredible that you started that journey and you were able to, to go in and figure out um, who you are and what are your values and what is vulnerability and how do you connect Um, when you were growing up? When you moved to the States and you were surrounded by different people, were you ever like kind of, I don't know if the words weirded out or like kind of shocked that other people, like were the people around you sharing their emotions, crying, um, talking to you about problems that were happening in their lives and going deep with you? Like, was that happening? And if so, like, was it shocking to you that people behave that way? Once I came to America, it still wasn't like it wasn't like all of a sudden I come to America and everybody's vulnerable because there are still people here who have. Even if they grew up in America, so I, I've met plenty of people who still may have actually majority of the people that I grew up with um, have the same kind of story. It's just that it happened in America. But in terms of lack of vulnerability and self-expression that came across a lot with a lot of majority of my friends and even if i speak now to the youth they still have the same story too so i think that that's just something that we all share one way or the other unless somehow you had these magical unicorn parents who were always advocates of mental health and emotional wellness um i don't meet those people often at all um i think that what what randomly just came to my mind now as you said that was when I was in the fifth grade when that was one year into living in America I had this best friend who is who was adopted from Korea and so when we met she was ecstatic she was like oh my gosh somebody who's not white and who is Korean from Korea and so we connected in that way she taught me everything like so much about America she taught me what a penny was she um Oh my gosh, she introduced me to Root Beer Float. We had a sleepover. <laughs> we had a sleepover, watched Charlie's Angels, and she got brought out these Root Beer Floats. And I'm like, what is this? This is awesome. And she taught me so much. But the thing is that when we were best friends, 
her mom passed away and i never understood that like i didn't understand what she was going through and also because of my, of my lack of english but because even when we were hanging out her mom wasn't around i never met her mom and so i remember this one day when she like the teacher took her to the front of the class to share this news with the class and i remember her crying and expressing that her mom had passed away but in my mind i was confused because i had never met her mom so like did she pass now or is it like an anniversary of her passing but i to this day i still don't really understand what happened but even then i remember like that was the only time i remember seeing her crying other than that we were just hanging out having fun and laughing and so i'm i don't know like i didn't see her going through those steps of grieving i have never been told that she was seeing a therapist i i never so how did she do it you know and so even if somebody had the quote-unquote opportunity to show me what it's like to express emotions i didn't see it granted i'm sure she did it like on her own with her dad because they were very close but I didn't see it. And I don't think that I really truly saw it until college in this class. I think what's important about vulnerability is that you have a space you can trust and who is trustworthy, who are people of empathy and compassion, who have their own capabilities of expressing their own vulnerabilities. And so even if I was in college, like this didn't happen with just anybody. It happened with my the people that I was in class with, people who are my TAs. And then eventually I ended up being a TA for that class too. And then eventually I became the professor's assistant. Like I was obsessed with this class. Oh. But um, yeah, I wouldn't have just done that with just anybody. I would just do it with a group of people that I trusted. And it turned out that as we took that class together, we were on the same journey. Oh, I love that you brought up that, that it, it's kind of like uh, this journey. It's kind of universal and it just depends when, each person is introduced to it or, or dives into, um, personal development or discovery, self-discovery. It's kind of like a universal thing. And then also within vulnerability, vulnerability invites vulnerability when mm -hmm. you're vulnerable with someone else in a space where you, um, trust the people that you are around with and you can be vulnerable It invites other people to be vulnerable in this authentic space. So yeah. that's so cool that you had that space where you could dive in because it's messy. Like vulnerability isn't like this clean, um, linear, like path. It is right. a whole whack of mess. So when you have that space to actually, um, be vulnerable. It it's so incredible. And it, it's just magical because so much greatness comes from it. Yeah. So. And I think that experience of experiencing, I I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that I was able to experience that from the sophomore year of college, because that set my path for the future friendships and influences that I had throughout college. You know, college is one of the most prevalent experiences of influence and if you make one bad mistake and get into the wrong circle it can be detrimental i went to penn state you we are constantly on the news and it's exhausting because some student did something that they shouldn't have done but because they were in the wrong circle it happened and for me because i experienced that level of vulnerability and trust by sophomore year i was what 18 19 years old that 
made me realize like this is the kind of circle that I always want to have. And I believe it's possible because I've experienced it. And I have friends even to this day, we're almost 30 now, and they're still struggling with not being able to be their authentic selves in their friend groups. And I'm like, homie, we're almost 30. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, we're almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot be doing this like 20 stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm so thankful. And I think that's why I have so much trust. And um, I love, love my friends, like I take a lot of pride in the friend group that I have. I have very high quality, empathetic, compassionate people who are advocates for each other's success as well as well-being. We're not just bringing each other up for like wealth and career success. We're advocating for each other's wellness and, you know, mental health and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that trust circle is so important. You cannot be just vulnerable, vulnerable with just anybody. You have to do it with people who have a track record because um, narcissism and gaslighting is also real. And I need to make that very clear because it's very important. Um, but yeah, very important. Trust is very important. Okay. So you had these professors and you had this space where you got to dive inward and um, now you're in a space right now where you are having the same impact on youth and students in college. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, man. Uh, I love I'm in I'm in the season of my life and career right now where I just know that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know that it's exactly what I'm supposed to be doing because I am the voice that I wish I had back then, like and when I was in the shelter, when I was in the basement with no windows and just alone, suicidal, dark thoughts, like all this stuff and crying about why is this happening to me? Like all of this stuff. I am the voice now that I wish I had. And um, the voice I had inside of me then was just hope and just believing that it was happening for a reason. And now I am that voice. Um, just speaking to the youth and I gravitate so towards youth that literally only makes sense. And the reason why I'm so happy right now is, be is because before the season, I was speaking to professionals and Silicon Valley and tech companies. And I loved what I do because I love people and I am such an advocate for people's greatness and their well-being. But something about it was like, something's missing and I didn't know what it was and then um, I started speaking to the youth and I'm like oh my gosh this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now and what brought me to that is that I spoke at a middle school and um, a middle school level is not where I thought I would be speaking at all because for some reason to me like middle schoolers don't in understand English or something I don't know why <laughs> but uh, a mentor of mine is was a teacher and is like huge in the teaching network and so she was like, Jiggy, can you speak at this school? They need you. And I said, yes, whatever you say, I will do. And I did it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, middle schoolers are so cool. And they're like the best. And it was a gay straight alliance club for a middle school. And they felt so seen by my story. And I'm like, Jiggy, duh. Of course they feel seen by your story because you went through exactly the same thing. And they're going through the exact same thing now. And so that's when I was like, man, I need to be speaking to the youth. So that covers middle school, high school, and college. Obviously, I have a deep connection with college students. And that's where uh, I connect with them a lot because 
not only is it about just during college, but what happens after college. And even though I went through all of this stuff in college, what happened because I didn't take care of myself too well in college, the consequences rolled over to quote unquote, the real world to a point where, yeah, I would work my butt off and never take breaks and try to climb the corporate ladder and, you know, work overtime and be underpaid because that's what society tells us that it's what it takes to climb the corporate ladder and succeed in the real world. So I did exactly what society told me to do until the day I only got a panic attack, 25 years old. And I said, this is because I didn't know how to take care of myself in college. And so when I speak to especially college students now, yeah, greatness is so important. Yeah, work ethic. Yes, all about strategy. Yes, success. Of course, I want everybody to thrive. I may believe in your student more than your student believes in themselves. Yes, and that's why let's make sure to take care of your wellness so that when you succeed, you are alive and healthy to experience it and and celebrate it. Because when my mom passed, she passed. She passed away. A week later, we got our green card in the mail. And this is the thing that she was working her butt off for for over a decade. It takes so long to get a green card. It took about 12, 13 years because of her sacrifices and her work ethic and her perseverance. And she didn't even live to see the day that she we got the green card in our hands. And mm. so... Yes, greatness. Yes, success. All of that is sexy. All of that is great. Yes, I believe in work ethic. Yes, I believe in persistence, perseverance, consistency, everything that these motivational speakers talk about. But what isn't talked about enough is burnout. Ain't no motivational speaker talking about you need to grind. You need to lose sleep. To You got to not eat. You got to not breathe all this stuff. And, then, and you might burn out and you might end up in the hospital bed. Who wants a life like that? So that's why I'm such an advocate for um, college students. Yeah, work hard. Yes. And let's take care of ourselves and our mental health. And I believe in the power of community, consistency, accountability. So when I speak, I want to create relationships. I don't want to speak at a school that just wants another motivational speaker. That's my standard. I'm not going to speak at just any school. I want to speak at a school where the teachers truly have a passion for the success of their students. And not only do I want to speak to the students, I want to speak to the teachers too, because their mental health. I remember the, the professors in college who believed in me and those who talked crap to my face. I remember both and they have both served me to my success. So I need my professors and teachers to take care of their well-being as well. So I'm certain, I'm confident that when I'm speaking to students and spitting all this game about practical skills and strategies, I know that the teachers are writing notes too. And when I leave, I don't want to have had a presence for just an hour of me being there. I want a lasting impact. I want a relationship. I want to check in with the teachers, how they're doing and how their students are doing. And that's why I also offer coaching programs for students so that there's a sense of accountability and consistency. I think I'm not the type of speaker who just wants to drop by, speak for an hour, get my money, leave by, good luck. I don't want that because I remember me. I wanted a friend and I want to be a friend. I want to be a partner in the students healing and well-being to their success.
Oh my Come on, God. somebody. That was so good. <laughs> I need to save that right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love how fired you up. Like I can see you through the screen. Like this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is your passion. And those kids, especially like that age group is, um, I mean, there's so much going on in their, you know, in our minds and our hormones and our in society, trying to fit in, going through, like those kids need you, like, thank you that you like, thank goodness that you found your way there because your impact, um, is just going to be insane. And I'm sure has been already for these people that you've, you've touched with, um, your energy and your story and your support and your community and everything that you bring. Yeah. You are incredible. And I'm so glad your journey led you to where you are today. Thank you. So I have a couple of final questions before we wrap up here. All right. Okay. So if you could go back to your brave 13 year old self and share three things that would have helped her along the journey or let her in on some secrets of what her future held, what would you tell her? Okay. This is the second time, the second podcast that I'm being asked this. And my question has, I mean, my answer hasn't changed. I told the other person too, like my answer that I have now, I don't know will land with the 13 year old me. And the reason why I say that is because I was in such a place where I thought that God created me to have something to laugh at. And my dad gave me this book called The Power of Positivity when I was a kid and I didn't read it because I thought positivity was bullcrap. And so if I were to be like now, if I were to be like, hey, 13 year old self, you know, God's got you. You are guided. You are provided for. You are protected. Everything's going to be OK. Things are going to happen for a reason. And you know what? Everything that you're going through now is going to make you money later. Like you're not even going to end up working for somebody. You're going to have your own business. You're going to live the life that you want. And I just know my stubborn 13 year old self is going to be like, I don't care. I don't (laughs) care about the future. I care about right now. Yes. So rather than giving advice, I, I wish that I could just be there for that 13 year old. I'm just checking in with myself now and I'm realizing that's why I want to be there for students so much. I think advice is cool, but when, when somebody's going through something so ugh, stirs the heart, start, stirs the insights, words are just words. It takes a lot of energy to process and even believe in it versus somebody like practically like grabbing your hand and saying like, let's do this. Let's go. You can got, you got this. So maybe that's why I'm so like passionate about helping students so practically. But I mean, yeah, if I were to give my 13 year old advice, it would be like, yeah, you got it. You know, it's going to happen for it's happening for a reason. And but I just know I was so stubborn. I was so angry. I was such an angry kid. I would have been like, I really don't care what you're saying right now. And that's uh-huh. my truth. That's my honesty. But for anybody that has somebody or knows someone going through it, they just need somebody, a friend, one person to show up with some empathy and kindness and be there. Yeah. You know what goes a long way? A handwritten note, a handwritten card, a letter. Like I have plenty of friends who have told me, um, 
I always believe that I went through what I went through to be the leader of my community in some way or another. So I always believe that if I was supposed to experience my mom passing away first in my friend group, because surely enough, a year later, a friend of mine's father passes away. Then a year after that, a best friend's mother passed away. Like it, throughout life, it just happened to be that way. And they always said that their friend, other friends told them they're there for them, but never showed any actionable items. And I'm the one, only one who actually showed up and did something about it but that's because i know what to do because i went through that experience so yeah i think anything actionable it's like a handwritten note or a call don't even text call show up go old school show up show up to their house <laughs> knock on the door and invite yeah. yeah i think that goes a long way yeah okay um you learn the word gay in English. Are there any other English words or phrases that have been transformative in your life? Other than vulnerability. <laughs> Huge and, one. Yeah. And like empathy, compassion. Um, both. Uh, so I have this. I guess you can call it a slogan or now or whatever it is now, but um, I, I keep saying both and all. So I kept saying these words, but I didn't realize how much I connected to it until now recently, the word both and also all. It's that I don't have to be one thing or the other. I don't have to be a hustler, or a grinder or taking care of my mental health. I can do both and I can do it all. I don't have to be just a very well-mannered female Asian who keeps to herself or have opinions and very be very expressive and stick to her core values and be stand up for what she believes in. I can be both. I can absolutely be both. I'm very well-mannered. I don't eat until the elders eat at the table first still. I still give up my seats to women and elders. Um, the power of both and all. I would hate for anybody to think that they have to choose their identity. Like just experience what it's like to be all. Like one thing that I didn't get to talk about in this podcast is that I've been denied baptism because of me being gay. And I was completely blindsided by that when it happened because I was so focused on being what it means to be a great Christian. But yeah, I didn't get baptized. And it's like, why can't I be both? I know I know. Okay, listeners, I know some of you frown upon it. I know and I get it. That's not it's not time for you to talk today. I'm talking right now and I'm saying, what if I'm able to love God and be loved by God and be who I am? Why should I have to choose both? So the word both and the word all. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. <laughs> wow. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. So my last question. So there are many teens out there going through a really hard time right now, but in a place where you once were, what would you say to them to offer them a glimmer of hope? Or if there's a parent out there who has a teen in this place, how can they help their child navigate the journey? Great question. You hit like one thing that I really wanted to talk about. So um, kids, teenagers, young adults, parents and teachers and faculty listening, 
I encourage you to explore the word self-compassion because I've had so many professors and teachers coming to me in 2020 wanting me to speak because their students lost motivation. And so did they. But the thing is that, is it really what motive, what people need right now, motivation? Or is it self-compassion? Yes, you think what they need is motivation because there's a lack of, there's underperformance. Kids might be going through depression and they're not operating the same because everybody has to show up virtually on a Zoom call. They haven't had human connection in a while. Maybe they lost a family member to COVID or other reasons and people have to stay inside. They can't go outside and all of these things. And it's like, are you kidding me? Look at it. Look what happened. Are you kidding me right now? Like what we're focused on right now is like overperforming and, you know, going after it versus looking inward and asking ourselves, like, what am I needing right now? Because by human psyche, fulfilling our needs will help us perform at a high level. So the word motivation is there because that's the language that we're so used to using because everybody wants motivation. It's what's sexy. It's what drives us. But there's a time for motivation and there's a time for compassion. And during a world pandemic, I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to you to decide. But even if somebody wanted to be motivated, do they even have the bandwidth and the energy or even the interest to do that right now? Or do they actually just need somebody to listen and be there for them? So once you decide which word you connect with, you can hit me up, but we can get it popping. But right now, uh, my encouragement is to explore the word self-compassion more. Okay. Self-compassion. We'll leave it with that. Um, Okay. Where can everybody find you at? How can they book you um, to connect with their students themselves? Like where can everybody find you at and tap into all of your offerings? Yeah, so I'm really active on Instagram. You can find me at Instagram at Jiggy underscore Yoon. My website is JiggyYoon.com. I'm so excited to say that I'm finally traveling again to speak. So excited to be physically just be in the presence of amazing students. I can't I'm so excited. Like I haven't spoken physically somewhere else since uh, beginning of 2020. So I'm so excited to finally start traveling again and being in the presence of energy. So yeah, book me all you want. Bring me out. Give me a campus tour. Uh, bring me your favorite school ice cream flavors. Uh, I love campus tours. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to speak, uh, not virtually and physically. Yes. Yeah. Get back in person and okay. No favorite ice cream treats, but not the ones that are fluorescent colored, maybe the more natural or <laughs> organic ice cream treats, not the pure sugar. No, I mean, yeah. Like I will say this, those who want me on their campus and maybe you have a local creamery, I will challenge you. Penn state's creamery is one of the top in the nation. We taught Ben and Jerry how to make ice cream. So if you want to bring me on your campus and show me what your campus got in terms of your uh, ice cream flavors, show me, take me there, show me. (laughs) I love it. Oh my gosh. Uh, You are incredible. Um, I am walking away with so much uh, from chatting with you today. And I know that all of the listeners out there are definitely going to feel your impact and um, have some self-compassion and maybe, um, 
tap into vulnerability or a journey of self-discovery or know someone else who's, who is going through something similar. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.